You're listening to the Fantasy Football Astronauts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Fantasy Football Astronauts podcast. This is your host, Daniel Harms. Today, we are talking all things best ball, and I thought it would be a good idea to get one of my favorite best ball follows and follows in general on the podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at jlarkytweets. This is Josh Larky. How you doing, man? Daniel, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. I have been following the astronauts for quite a while, so I hope that uh, post-podcast, people decide that this one is worthy of going to the moon as well. So thanks for having me on, and it's Saturday, It's always, which means it's always a good day to talk about some best ball. Every day is a good day to talk about best ball. This is like the best time really to get into it right after you're talking about Dynasty Leagues, doing some drafts, right in between that Dynasty and redraft sandwich, really, is what we're doing here. And this was my second year really getting into best ball. Last year was the first to kind of put my foot in the water. I really enjoyed it, and I got into it a much bigger range this year, and one of the best things I love about it is that I think it's the biggest reason it's getting this draw is you get to do the best parts about it. You draft and then you don't have to do anything else. Every single week, your best players are going to be put in the best positions to get you the most points total. So how does this open up a whole different world of fantasy that was never really available to people before? You don't have to deal with that week to week trying to figure out who you're going to play. How does that work for you? So I think that what I like about basketball, like you said, you, you just draft, set it, and forget it. Who doesn't like drafting? We all like drafting. Mm-hmm. And I would say that basketball actually, for those out there that are on the fence, it will actually make you significantly better at redraft as well. Because a lot of people out there go, you know what? Once mid-August hits, I will, I will spend four hours on a Saturday <laughs> or Sunday. I will learn who I am going to draft and who I like, and then I will draft them. As you might imagine, that person is going to be pretty heavily outcompeted in the draft mm-hmm. room. If there is someone in that draft room who has been drafting best ball teams all summer, is already familiar with general player ADP, is already familiar with their player takes and who they are targeting and fading. So best ball is just, if you are purely a redraft player, it is a great way to kind of ease back into redraft. Is There's a lot of cheap options for best ball. It's not... Yes, you can put in a ton of money if you want and draft a lot of teams. Or you could do, hey, I'm going to do five $3 drafts. Great. You have spent $15. You have done way more research than your league mates and you're set. So in terms of uh, why I like best ball is I'm a math guy. I kind Mm -hmm. of think best ball is this very interesting and potentially impossible to solve math problem where when you play redraft, there's a lot that's going on with you and your league mates. There's trades that can happen. You can occasionally, as we all know, you can have a trade swing a league where you go, oh, that's not really mm-hmm. the trade I would have done. We're not allowed to veto it. Oh, well, looks looks like you now have an RB1 and the other team has a, a wide receiver three. Well, I, I guess <laughs> that is how the, the chips have fallen. You can also have uh, shenanigans with the waiver wire. You just never really know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of times the person who wins a redraft league gets lucky. Can that happen in best ball? Of course, it's fantasy football. Pretty much anything can happen. We we saw Cooper Cup nearing age 30 set the best receiver season of all time when he really hadn't done all that much prior to that in his career. It, it, it is an inherently unpredictable game. However, I would say that in best ball, when you look at the best team year end, it is generally a pretty well-drafted team. And you go, oh yeah, they, they drafted it really intelligently. I like the way they constructed it, how many players they took at each position. 
And I like the players they took and how they maybe they correlated and stacked their quarterback. Generally, there are no uh, there's no gross taste in your mouth when you see who wins mm-hmm. the best ball league. I get that all the time with redraft, though, where I go, oh, my God, how did this team sneak in? They had this one random mm-hmm. waiver pickup that got them a sneaky 25 points, and that was that. So, yeah, I, I am I am, I am uh, pro best ball. I'm not anti-redraft. I just prefer best ball. Yeah, that feels like every year there's, the, like you're talking about, there's someone you pick up on week one and week two in redraft, and this this guy wins the league because of it. It happened to me a couple of years ago when Kareem Hunt came out of nowhere from the injury to, what was it? I, I'm a Chiefs fan. I'm forgetting the guy's name. Um, but there's the Tarkandic West and the Spencer Ware injury in that mm-hmm. season, and then Kareem Hunt comes out and just explodes, and he has – the reason that I won my fantasy league that year, that year. you pick them up on the way for you get kind of lucky. So that's Mike one of the from exactly, two <laughs> exactly. Like there's just so many random, it's such a, it's a random thing. And that's why I like the are you comparing it to a big math problem? Because when you do the research into stabs, you can take at certain different ADPs after you get past like pick, pick 150, which we're going to get to later, there's a ton of different players that you can take that you're hoping that really give you that highest ceiling, maybe in the, last half of the season they come on strong and help you win those best ball leagues so it's a lot of fun to really do the research and see some of these sleeper picks that you don't necessarily do with redraft you're look, looking to get your base team guys you think are going to start and hopefully get you to a championship so i really really do enjoy it and one of the, the biggest things we've seen is on underdog the best ball mania is really catching steam why don't you let me know and everyone else what was your best accomplishment last year in, in best ball mania so i didn't do very well in best ball mania i had a ton of Burrow teams and a ton of Brady oh, teams. What happened nice. in week 15 when the tournament <laughs> started? Well, the Buccaneers were shut out for, I think, the second time in Tom mm-hmm. Brady's career. Pretty inopportune week that right as the money starts to get made, Tom Brady and all of my stacks are just shut out, no touchdowns. And that was, I don't remember exactly what the score was in that Bengals game, but I remember Higgins and Chase combined for like 40 receiving yards on three mm-hmm. catches. Pretty tough when you have stacked up Burrow, Chase, Higgins. So I had a few teams advance to the third round. I didn't have any of those teams advance to the finals. Mm-hmm. However, I was able to make the money back that I lost from go. Best Ball Mania in the playoff tournament. The Basically, the, the sister version of Best Ball Mania, the gauntlet, where it's the $25 mm-hmm. playoff tournament. I, I had some teams get, get to the very end, and I think I got 35th. Something nice. like that in that tournament. So that is where I, I made the the thousand plus dollars back, which I had lost in Best Ball Mania. So thank you to the playoff tournament. But yeah, Best Ball Mania, I, I was not cracking. There were no teams in the finals, so I no no top one hundred and fifty teams in that one, unfortunately. But uh, th- this year could be different. I hope so. You know, it's funny because we were just talking about luck, and that's a really unlucky thing to have happen with two of the best quarterbacks last year just completely have with your stacks just kind of do nothing, and that's one of the part of fantasy that you'll never ever get rid of the inherent unknown that there is every single every single week so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about strategies because when we're doing these drafts there's there's a ton of different ways you can handle it when do you start looking at you know running backs versus wide receivers how many wide receivers you take but let's start off with the very basic thing where is your favorite spot to select and really start your drafts from i just want a top five pick Mm mm-hmm the, the top five picks look to me significantly different from the next picks. So for those wondering who, who are the top five picks on underdog, the there's two running backs in there, Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey. And then there's three receivers in there, mm-hmm. Cooper cup, Justin Jefferson, Jamar chase. 
These look like very, very strong candidates to finish as RB1 or wide receiver one overall in fantasy. Feels to me like the ceilings and floors of these players, if they're healthy, are just significantly higher than anyone else on the board. And I kind of view Eckler and Diggs as kind of that next tier. Those are my two favorite guys to rotate between at pick six and seven. I do not think Eckler or Diggs looks like Taylor McCaffrey, Cup, Jefferson, or Chase. So for mm-hmm. me, I want a top five pick. Yeah, I get that. I've I've got a, a few top five picks. I definitely like my constructions with Jamar Chase so far. I'm I'm also a big fan of starting out around 11, 12. I like stacking Devontae Adams with Travis Kelsey personally. I think that's a really nice – I've got it multiple times now where I've been able to get one of the top tight ends in the end of that first round with a guy who I still think has wide receiver one ceiling regardless of – Derek Carr is a quarterback. I think he's going to get funnel targets and just be the guy there, which we all assume anyway. But it's a lot of fun seeing the different roster constructions, how different players fall, how you see players get reached for every single draft to try to complete those stacks. One of my favorite parts is seeing how players differ between redraft ADP and your best ball ADP because when you're looking for those stacks, you're going to get players that you get reached on. Specifically, I think Gabe Davis is one of those guys who's really – his underdog and his best ball ADP is extremely high because they're trying to stack him with that Josh Allen possible Stefan Diggs, depending on how it works out that way. So that's a lot of fun to really go into and look at. And those top five players, I think all have a reasonable, excellent chance of starting this and finishing the season as the one or the two in their positions was really helped pay off your drafts. Speaking of wide receivers and running backs, there's a, specifically a certain number, I think a a floor you should have at running back and at wide receiver. What do you typically target for both of those positions at the end of your drafts? Like how many do you you typically want to have? So for running back, if I have two to three early running backs, I'm going four to five running backs. Mm -hmm. If I'm going more zero RB, I don't have a running back through the first five, six, seven, eight rounds. I'll generally target six, maybe seven. Mm Mm-hmm. With receiver, I generally want at least seven receivers. Uh, you you can get by with six potentially if you go almost six receivers out of the gate. Yeah. But I generally like to take some type of elite quarterback or tight end or running back. It is rare that I am ever going to go six receiver in a row or six of my first seven picks at receiver. I don't even feel like that's necessarily optimal. Mm-hmm. So I'm generally looking seven receivers if they are very, very strong. I'll go up to about nine to ten receivers if I feel like I need more depth there. Uh, generally, don't really go beyond 10. I know some people are like, look at this really sexy two quarterback, three running back, two tight end, 11 receiver build. From what I've seen, generally receiver 10 and 11 have a pretty tough time cracking your lineup. Mm-hmm. And if receiver 10 and 11 are frequently cracking your lineup, those players are usually bad, which means that your early round guys aren't doing well anyway, yeah. and you're probably not making money in the first place. So yeah, between four to seven running backs, between seven to 10 receivers is where I would say 98, 99% of my drafts fall in. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. The ones that I've done so far, I'm, I lean more to a five running back, nine receiver, or maybe mm-hmm. a little bit heavier, a six running back. That's probably my most common. Receiver. Yeah. The I think five, that that's, that seems to be the most common what I've seen. You obviously get two quarterbacks, two tight ends that way. Um, when you're looking for those high value picks they typically do lend to be more of the wide receiver just because there's there's such a depth disparity between running backs and wide receivers in the nfl and the way that 
running back by committee has become the way of the NFL. I think that's a very interesting dynamic, which helps you lean more into zero running back and get those receivers you can stack early and then just really kind of complete your entire team that way. It, it helps because, you know, players like, say, J.D. McKissick, who currently has a 183 ADP on underdog, he could be like the last guy in your, your running back thing. You're still getting a pretty decent floor because we know he's going to be involved in Washington as a passing down back, specifically as a two a two minute back, he was going to have that that role anyway, unless Antonio Gibson magically gets that this year, which we'll we'll find out. Ron Rivera likes to talk about his one two Jonathan Taylor and D'Angelo Williams running back this year, so it's going to be fun backfield to figure out. But yeah, I lean towards that five running back wide a nine wide receiver myself. I do think that once you get like you said over over nine, you're really starting to stretch your. Ever really starting to stretch everything else, and if those guys are scoring, you're you're in some trouble anyway. So, when is the best start for you to think to start looking at, at quarterbacks? Because when we when I look at the ADP on underdogs specifically, the first quarterback doesn't come off the board till pick thirty, Josh Allen. So, do, when do you really start to hone in on that quarterback pick? So I wouldn't say that I'm specifically like, all right, this is. I need to get this quarterback or need to get that quarterback. I generally want to stack every single one of my drafts. Ideally, both quarterbacks I take are stacked. Occasionally, I'll do a three-quarterback build, and then I'll generally want at least two of them to be stacked with some type of skill players from that same offense. In terms of my quarterback range, I find that I generally end up with two quarterbacks, when possible, Mm. by Kirk Cousins, give or take, (laughs) or Justin Fields, give or take. I'm not opposed to the late round quarterbacks. There are, I'll mention an intriguing quarterback towards the end of this show that I think can outperform his ADP. However, one thing that we are very, very good at as fantasy in quote analysts, we, we know which offenses will score points. Mm -hmm. We are much worse at player takes. We are much better at offense takes. And that is, I think kind of the big reason to want to lock up quarterbacks on offenses. We think will score some points. We are very, very good at quarterback analysis. The most efficient ADP between quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, year after year is quarterback. That mm-hmm. is what we are good at predicting. And so I don't think I need to outsmart the wheel or whatever the, the expression is that remake I'm trying to <laughs> Remake the wheel. We're not going to outsmart it. We are not going to remake it either. So I, I love... Uh, Two, two good quarterbacks where you're like, you know what? I've probably got two guys that are in the that are in that top 12 type range. So one of my favorite pairings based on ADP, I found that I end up with a lot of Tom Brady and Kirk Cousins on the same team. It just seems like naturally you can go like Jefferson round one, Mike mm-hmm. Evans round two, and the next thing you know, you're stacking up both the Buccaneers and the, the Vikings. I think Brady and Cousins are both going to be top 12 quarterbacks. Neither has an egregious ADP where you're going to have to take one too early. So I can stack my receiver room. I can take one to two stud running backs. I might even get a stud tight end and I can still get two quarterbacks on above average offenses. That is generally what I'm targeting in that quarterback zone is I want two good quarterbacks. Yes. You, you can, you can have a good team with one, one really good quarterback and then one kind of sleeper quarterback, but mathematically that is much harder to get right. So why, why would I, why would I try and, overthink rethink the wheel remake the wheel we are not i'm not even a mechanic i'm an in quotes (laughs) analyst so give me those two quarterbacks that i think are probably on top 12 offenses yeah that makes the most sense you don't want to talk about 
you know, go, go down into the quarterback range of where last year I was finding myself as a new best ball player, taking a, a quarterback relatively high and then filling out receiver running back. And then I'm looking at the last 20 or getting into the quarterback twenties. And I'm just like, this is not ideal for my, my, my lineups, especially if you're trying to get those stacks, you still need to have those middling tier quarterbacks. And Kirk cousins last year was one of the best quarterbacks in fantasy. And he won a ton of people money, won a ton of people leagues last year, because you don't have to be a fan, a, you know, a playoff winning quarterback to win fantasy leagues. And when you have Justin Jefferson and he's still able to spread the ball around to the players that he has, Justin Jefferson adds so much value. You're getting him around pick four anyway. And then you get Kirk Cousins around pick 121. So you still have time to fill out your roster, take maybe a quarterback earlier. I like Jalen Hurts and Kirk Cousins stacks or at quarterback myself. Those two guys I find myself gravitating towards pretty common. Lee, especially when I have that four pick with Justin Jefferson, I can still wrap around, get A.J. Brown, and then stack Hurts with Cousins and Justin Jefferson and A.J. Brown. That's something that I found to be very unique for myself. I like being able to do that with those two top types of receivers that have possible top five, top five finishes. And the biggest thing for me is continuously trying not to get quarterbacks starved. And that was, like I said, something I did a lot last year. It doesn't work out for you. And... When you're drafting these quarterbacks, specifically, do you care so much about having that high rushing floor for these best balls? Do, is that something that you gravitate towards or is it something that you're more interested in, say, a redraft perspective? So I wouldn't say that I care about it in terms of like, oh, I can't draft a quarterback unless they're mobile in best ball. Mm -hmm. However, I think more often than not, when a quarterback, to me, is a value at ADP. It's because I don't think this guy's rushing is properly factored in. So I, I would frame it that way where I'm not okay. going to be like, Ooh, I, mm, Justin Herbert doesn't quite rush as much as I hope I can't draft him or Tom Brady is not mobile. Kirk cousins is not mobile. I can't draft them. It's not going to be like that, but it's more often that the guys that I think are true values and mispriced by one to three rounds, they're often mobile. And I just don't think that's factored in enough. I think there's still this there's still this kind of idea that if the quarterback is bad at football, they're going to be bad in fantasy. Mm -hmm. And that still Which... seems to carry over to some of these mobile quarterbacks where people go, you know, I don't think they're going to be very good at quarterback. And I'm like, well, they look like they're going to be pretty good at scoring fantasy points to me, so I'm just going to draft them. So I, I would reframe it that way where it's not like I, I – I'm solely focused on mobility and I need that in best ball, but that's just often an archetype that I think is undervalued. But again, in best ball stacking is so important. And I will say it is harder to get the stacks right with the, the very mobile quarterbacks. I mean, if we think about guys that have done well for themselves in fantasy, like think about Jalen hurts last year, mm -hmm. there wasn't necessarily any Eagle skill player that you absolutely needed in fantasy. Yep. Yeah. Jalen hurts was a ridiculous value based on where he went in drafts. He was drafted at like, what, QB 10, QB 11, mm -hmm. and he finished as QB 6. Great value. But it's not like you were killing yourself because you're like, wow, I didn't take Devonta Smith? Darn it. Oh, I didn't take Dallas yeah. Hart. Like, th those guys were fine. But it's not like something with Tom Brady where you go, oh, wow, Tom Brady, a non-mobile quarterback, he smashed. Yes. Mm -hmm. In that case, you needed Evans. You needed Godwin. You wanted Gronk. You wanted Fournette. So I would say that that's one thing that I, I like to factor in as well is that as singular assets, the mobile quarterbacks are often better, but in best ball, it then makes it more difficult on yourself for the rest of the draft 
when you're not guaranteed to get it right with the stacks if that quarterback hits. Yeah, I like the way you phrase that because you don't have to rush to get the stacks right. And that makes the big difference for guys like Tom Brady and Joe Burrow, who were among the best finishers or finishers last year. And when you had Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase and or T Higgins, you probably had a better chance of getting that last year with T Higgins than you will this year, considering how close Chase and Higgins are at ADP, but they don't need it. And that's the, the biggest important thing that I, I I'm trying to parse out myself because you look at guys like Trey Lance, you look at Jalen Hurts, you look at some of these other Lamar Jackson, for example, you, you try to get those stacks too, but you also know they might have singular standalone value, but and you might be able to get some sacks with quarterbacks later that maybe fall like a Tom Brady, whose ADP is very, very stack friendly. In my opinion, <laughs> I think it's a pretty easy way to get a guy who's going to, like you said, probably be a top, I would imagine top 10 quarterback again this year, just continues to throw the ball all, all over the yard get 40 plus touchdowns and he's able to do that right, so this leads me into my next point of discussion where tight end gets a real big stigma in the nfl because you have these three to four top guys that you really push for and then it really kind of dries out so when you look at the tight end adp and look at the tight end market how do you treat some of the best players like a kyle pitts a travis kelsey mark andrews george kittle compared to the rest of the field so I, I do like some of the elite tight ends this year. The two guys that – I guess there's three guys that I found myself gravitating towards. It's Travis Kelsey, it is Kyle Pitts, and it's Darren Waller. And I'll kind of explain really briefly why I like those three and why I'm a little less excited about Andrews and Kittle. Because I feel like the, that kind of the big five mm -hmm. is often grouped together where these are the guys that seem to have the most upside. So Kelsey, he has been the tight end one or tight end two for the last, what, five, six years. And there's no more Tyree Kill. I understand mm -hmm. he turns 33 in October, but it seems to me like you are you are really playing with fire if you fade Travis Kelsey when he has already shown that he has the elite ceiling and yeah. his situation may have, in fact, gotten better. I understand some people, they're worried. They're like, oh, without Tyree Kill, what if he gets more double teams? Yes, but what if he doesn't? And what if teams actually respect MVS and Juju, Sky Moore, Mikul Hardman, CEH, Jarek McKinnon, Ronald Jones, whoever else you want to throw in there? And, of course, Patrick Mahomes. They're going to have to respect Patrick Mahomes. And if teams do that, Travis Kelsey is going to have a monster season. I also like Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts had 1,000 receiving yards as a rookie. The past decade, receive, or rookie, rookie receiving types who have had 1,000 receiving yards as a rookie average over 1,200 yards and nearly 17 PPR points a game in year two. That sounds to me like you don't really want to bet against Kyle Pitts. Mm -hmm. I understand it's a stinky offense. I understand he only had one touchdown last year. However, this is just not the archetype of 100th percentile talent that I am willing to fade. He's a total unicorn. And for all we know, he could give you mid to high end wide receiver one numbers in yep. your tight end slot in round three. I am going to take that gamble. Then there's Darren Waller. I understand Devontae Adams is there. However, Darren Waller was massively out-targeting Renfro anytime they were on the field together. He is still one of the fastest players in the NFL. You can look at next-gen stats data. This guy is just a lock for 21 miles an hour once mm -hmm. he hits the ground running. I just don't want to bet against the, the elite athlete who is in what, I, what should be a top 10, maybe even top 5 overall pass attack. And maybe he sees less double coverage. Maybe he sees softer coverage because Adams is now there. And then the, the two guys that I'm not as interested in, Mark Andrews, a lot of people go, you cannot fade Mark Andrews. 
He was just the tight end one in fantasy, and he goes in round two. Not round one like Kelsey. That is just a gift. And to that I say, look at what happened with the Ravens last year compared to prior seasons. The trend to me couldn't be more obvious. 2019, the Ravens passed the ball 27 times per game. 2020, the Ravens passed the ball 25 (laughs) times a game. League average is like 33. So they passed 25 times a game. So 27, then 25. Last year, they passed 36 times a game. You might say, wow, why, why are they passing so much? That is great news for Andrews. Turns out when you lose all three running backs on your depth chart before the season starts to season-ending injuries, you might have to pass more. Turns out when your entire defensive secondary is injured and you're signing guys off the street and putting them in your secondary to guard Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Burrow throws for 500 passing yards, these are the, the cases where the Ravens might have to pass a little bit more or even a lot more than they wanted to. Andrews had never sniffed 100 targets in a season. And then what happens last year with all these injuries with a ridiculous pass rate compared to what they've done in the past, Andrews has 153 targets. He had 57 or 56 more targets than he ever had in a season before. It is because of all those factors. If we give Andrews, so let's just say that Andrews target share increases. There's no more Marquise Brown. But also, there's no more Marquise Brown. They didn't sign him. They didn't draft any receivers. They clearly are not trying to pass the ball a whole lot. If we bring them back to the 27 pass attempts per game in 2019 when they were the best offense in football, which, wow, I mean, we're already assuming the best offense in football. Yeah. Even if we assume that, Andrews is going to need Cooper Cup's league-leading target share from last year just to get around 130, 135 targets. There is no chance he sniffs 150-plus targets unless everyone in the running back room gets injured again, everyone in the secondary gets injured again. You're basically playing with fire to get Andrews anywhere close to his volume from last year. And then with Kittle, I do not like the pass volume that is likely going to be there with the 49ers. Trey Lance is very, very mobile. He's probably Mm going to run 8 to 12 times a game. Jimmy Garoppolo never runs. This is already a run-heavy system that Shanahan likes to run. We have a mobile quarterback. I would be surprised if the Niners are anywhere other than bottom five in the league and pass attempts. And I just do not want to bet on George Kittle, who is competing with two very talented receivers for targets with Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. When I know Kittle's going to run five to 10 fewer routes per game than them because he's blocking in a low volume pass attack, you're going to need pretty ridiculous efficiency from Kittle for him to pay off there. So. For me, that, that is how I have navigated those those top five tight ends. I love that, especially because when you, you talk about those two guys, the outliers here, when I, I look to my my own projections is Kelsey, Schultz, Pitts, because we expect them to be down in most of their games. Waller all really tend to gravitate towards that higher passing volume. <clears throat> and really, Mark Andrews, George Kittle, like you said, they don't have that type of upside. I I'm much higher on Dalton Schultz myself than a lot of people. Same. I think, yeah, I haven't. I think currently... he and Kittle look in my projections. They look almost identical. Yeah, Kittle is Kittle is so much better at tight end. I, it's not even close. Mm-hmm. But the pass volume is not even close. We're playing fantasy right. football, not real football. And Dalton Schultz to me looks very similar to Trap or very similar to George Kittle. Yeah, I'm right there with you. So we we always have to take some context into. 
We know that last year, Mark Andrews broke the mold for his entire career ever. It was the best season he ever had. Again, we expect Rashad Bateman to be a guy, but we don't know what they're going to do with the taking the top off the defense yet. Mar Mar Marquise Brown did that, and it was able to bring some gravity away from Mark Andrews where he could just eat that up. We're talking about Devin Duvernay, James Prochet. To do that now is a very different level of player, so you have to account for that. So, yeah, I, I'm 100% with you with Mark Andrews, George Kittle, having to come down the totem pole there because the passing volume is likely not going to be there. Now let's go ahead and talk a little bit about some values at ADP because this is really where we get to have a lot of fun with determining players you want to take based on their ADP players you want to take in front of. So let's talk about a few of your favorite players right now at any position at their ADPs. So I want to start off with my favorite guy at ADP, Russell Gage. I can't stop drafting Russell Gage. Yes. Russell Gage is pretty much Chris Godwin in terms of role, except you're getting essentially Chris Godwin who you normally, if he was fully healthy, would be going in round two or round three. Yes. You get Russell Gage in like the eighth round. Mm -hmm. It is ridiculous. Russell Gage had a 22% target share with the Falcons last year. For those who have no idea what that means, that means he out-targeted Kyle Pitts, who I think we all think is freaking awesome. awesome. Russell Gage is good at football. Tom Brady handpicked him. He called him up. He said, Russell, I would love for you to play with the Buccaneers. I have seen you in the NFC South the past two years, I faced you four times. And I liked what I saw. I want you on our roster. Chris Godwin tore the like the ACL, MCL. He, mm -hmm. he tore the whole gauntlet of his knee at the end of last season. What I have read is that he most likely comes back Thanksgiving. That means you're getting almost a full season of Russell Gage in terms of regular season points. And then some people point to, oh, but you might be a fish because – Right when the playoffs hit, Russell Gage will no longer be the second receiver in that offense. And you're basically paying for fantasy points when it doesn't matter. And to that I say, hey, you have to reach the playoffs for the, these best ball tournaments in order to profit once the tournament part hits. Exactly. And did we not see three to four players on the Buccaneers be highly fantasy relevant week after week after week, regardless of what was going on? There were weeks where Evans, Godwin, Gronk, Fournette, these guys were all yes. Antonio Brown. They, we had up to five guys that any given week could pop off for spike weeks. And I really want some Russell Gage. I want that Buccaneers offense. That Tom Brady had 719 pass attempts last year. It is a very fast-paced, pass-heavy pass attack. That is the type of player I want. I really like Russell Gage. Another guy I really like, and this is going to be music to your ears as a Chiefs fan, I like Sky Moore. So here's the case for Sky Moore. Everyone on the Chiefs is in decline or stagnating, mm -hmm. except for Sky Moore. Travis Kelsey, lowest target share and yards per out run pretty much of his career, basically since his like first season in the league. Then we have Juju Smith-Schuster. Oh, also Kelsey turns 33 in October, so maybe the age hits him at some point. Juju Smith-Schuster hasn't really been very good in four years. The PFF graders out there, Whatever you, whatever you think about PFF, one thing they have noticed is that he is actually just not winning on a per-route basis like he used to early in his career, and that it's basically been a four-year decline for him. Mm -hmm. Four years is basically a lifetime in football. The, the yards per-route run, targets per-route run, basically everything is just precipitously declining for him. He also has struggled to stay healthy. I don't really want a guy that 
struggles to get open and has to be schemed touches in the slot. That does not seem like an ascending player. They gave him $3 million guaranteed. Seems to me like the entire league does not think Juju is very good at football anymore. We have Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Career catch rate below 50%. Career high target share 14%. You might say, well, he's going to get a better quarterback now. It's Patrick Mahomes. And to that, I will say, oh, that's interesting. Did you not remember that his career 50% or career catch rate below 50% was with Aaron Rodgers? We know what Marquez Valdez-Scantling is. He is a field stretcher and not a high volume one at that. With Miko Hardman, he is a bust. I don't think anyone out there should be making the case for Miko Hardman to step up as this team's wide receiver one. To me, I think those takes are hilarious. He would have already been doing that in his first three seasons and showing promise there rather than having his average depth of target just dropping every single year in the league as they turn him more and more into a schemed touch gadget player. And that leaves Sky Moore, the only ascending player in this pass attack. Sky Moore was a quarterback and a cornerback in high school. He was given a scholarship to Western Michigan, and they said, Sky, we actually have no idea what position you're going to play, but you're good at football. Here's a, here's a scholarship. He tries receiver. Why not, right? I mean, hey, he, he was kind of built, good receiver size, like 5'10", 190. They go, let's, let's try receiver. So for the first time playing receiver in his life, he leads the team as a true freshman with 802 receiving yards. I happen to think he's good at football. He had even more receiving yards a game in year two, and then he had over 100 receiving yards a game in year three, and he led the MAC conference in touchdowns as well. I really like Sky Moore. He had round two draft capital, which is absolutely incredible for a small school, Western Michigan type early declare who also only played half of his sophomore year because of the COVID shutdown with only two and a half years of game, game tape playing a position he had never played in high school from a smaller school. They gave him second round draft capital. He's now tethered to Patrick Mahomes. He gets open at will. His college efficiency metrics are off the chart. He is someone that I want exposure to. And if I was just thinking top of my head, I would have thought he'd have the highest ADP out of him. Juju Mecole and MVS based on what I've said. So being able to get him two plus rounds after Juju Smith-Schuster is a nice gift to all of us. Yeah, I, I'm really a big fan of the Russell Gage call myself because we assume, like you said, even if he, even if Chris Godwin comes back around Thanksgiving, who's to say Chris Godwin's going to be Chris Godwin at all that next this coming year? Who's going to know that? And he, even if he's remotely close to what he was, the Antonio Brown role that I believe Russell Gage is going to play even without Chris Godwin is extremely productive role. Like you said, he, Tom Brady hand selected him to come in and play. And I do believe he's going to fill a lot of what both of Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown did last year. It's a hugely valuable spot for him. And I still think he can be extremely productive after that. I haven't projected to finish a season at wide receiver 17 this year. I am very high on Russell Gage. I think he's going to be a much bigger part of that offense than people give him credit for because he played with Matt Ryan in a busted offense last year. And again, he was still getting a bunch of targets last year as a chiefs fan. And I know that everything points to sky Moore being the one guy that comes in and I would love for him to just be the guy I'm more hesitant myself. I think the chiefs as Patrick Mahomes has said a couple times now in his, his preseason, his training camp stuff conferences, they plan to distribute the ball quite a bit. And I can't really argue with them that process. They have four guys that are going to, we know that they have four receivers, Juju, MBS, 
uh, McCole Hardman and Sky Moore that they're going to get in the game all at different times. They're going to rotate a lot of guys in and out. And Andy Reid's offense is notoriously hard for rookies to grasp. Coming out of West, uh, Western Michigan, he had a limited route tree specifically because the offense wasn't very creative. But again, the, everything you pointed to, he just wins against everything. He can find the spots in zone. He beats man coverage. He has exceptional hands. I think he had the biggest hands in the entire draft at wide receiver at 10 and a half inches. The dude doesn't drop much. He's a tough dude after the catch. And he does have speed. It goes unnoticed largely because he's not a blazing Tyreek Hill kind of guy. Now there's not many guys out there. He's even he's not even McCole Hardman in that aspect. But he has speed and he has a very route releases in his packages. It's something that you really, really noticed coming out of Western Michigan. So I'm keeping myself back more of a uh, protection against the fact that rookies in Andy Reid's offense don't typically explode. And I would love nothing more than for Sky Moore to come in and be the guy in the first half of the season, establish himself as a guy that Mahomes can go to and really be that guy. So while I want to I want to dig in there with you. I'm more cautiously optimistic myself that he's going to take some time to get acclimated to the NFL game. And, you know, I know you said you laugh at people about McCall Hardman, but I'm more optimistic about McCall Hardman. What's here? Give, so, give me the Bulls case. So McCall Hardman last year still had over 800 yards receiving. And that was with the Chiefs trying to find out how they're going to use him. And now that Tyreek Hill's gone, they still need a Z. Uh, they don't he's the only guy that profiles as a, a Z type of receiver, someone who plays off the line, but still out wide that has speed and acceleration. So they're still going to get him the large majority of his touches in some gadget roles, some end arounds, much like they do with Tyree kill. But I think this year they're going to start using him more as a downfield type of deep over route player. He's not going to be Tyree kill. So don't project people don't project and try to say that I'm saying he's going to take over as Tyree kill. I think he's going to get more of those routes and finally working more with Patrick Mahomes this off season. I have a little bit more, a depth of knowledge with McCole Hardman. He's bulked up about 10 pounds looking from last year to this year. That's going to help him in yards after catch really break some more of those tackles that he didn't do last year. I think it's going to help him a lot. And the versatility of the offense, I think, is going to play into it. I believe they're going to lean in like 1% to 2% more in the run just to help bring some of those two high safeties down, try to get McColl and MBS on some single high safeties that should open up things. So while I, I think that the majority of the fantasy community is down on McColl Harbin, you have every reason to be. You really do. I, I'm, I believe he's going to lead the Chiefs receivers in yards myself this year. So that's my own personal opinion and how I've gathered the Chiefs offense breaking out this year. He also has the the only receiver on the roster that has chemistry with Patrick Mahomes. So there's a little bit to go with that. I will say though, you so yes, he had over 800 receiving yards, but that is including the playoffs. Oh yeah. That is slightly unfair. So if we just do yards per game in his career, 34 yards a game, 35 yards a game. And then he last year he had 41 yards a game. So Fairly similar. Could he take a leap? He certainly could, but I worry that when the average depth of target has come down all three seasons, could it go back up? Yes, but it, to me it looks like Marquez Valdez-Scantling is going to command the most amount of those deep targets. And that If they wanted Hardman to run those routes, they probably wouldn't have paid MVS the this three-for-30 million contract. I understand it's front-loaded. They can get out of it after a year, but it seems to me like that's not the player they would have targeted if a, a bulked up Hardman was prepared to 
kind of take on sort of that role he had as a rookie. Because I feel like as a rookie, he was the the clear deep, the clear mm-hmm. deep threat complementing Tyreek Hill, where it felt like he I think he had like 20 yards per reception as a rookie. Something ridiculous yeah, it was like, like 17.8 or whatever it was. It was it was an absurd amount. Mm-hmm. And to that point, I'll, I'll Tyreek Hill's ADP has been dropping over the last or a, a uh, average at the target has been dropping a lot because of the way defenses have played last year. They turned Tyreek Hill into a possession receiver and let him mm-hmm. run after the catch. So while we have, we have to assume it's a lot of base projection with Nicole Hardman with this chief's offense is going to be a lot of moving pieces. If defenses come out and continue to play too high safety and say, look, we're just never going to let you throw the ball deep. Everyone's 80 average at the target. is going to be short. And I personally think that they want two fast guys. Like they want two guys that can take the top off at any at any time on the field. That's why they brought MBS in. They're also hoping that he becomes a little bit more than he's been in his career. I'm not, I know you're not, I think 28 years old, a guy who can never, never really been able to take a step up is going to be able to just all of a sudden do that. But like I said, more optimistic myself. We'll see how it happens. Um, I know McCall mm-hmm. Hardman's been a letdown. There's no denying that. So Asking him to be the number one guy in an offense where this is now his fourth year is always asking a lot. So let's talk a little bit about Travis Etienne because he has been a huge polarizing topic of conversation over the past couple of weeks, really months. And while I wasn't huge on Travis Etienne coming out, I think that there's a reasonable case to be made about him taking a step forward this year with Doug Peterson. We don't know how long James Robinson is going to be out. That can help him establish himself early. So how do you feel about Travis Etienne? So to me, I'm going to draft Travis Etienne because what are the two ways that running backs score fantasy points? They score fantasy points from red zone goal line work, Mm -hmm. and they score fantasy points from being targeted. I know some people out there think that fantasy points are scored by running the ball up the middle between the 20s. That is the absolute least efficient way to score fantasy points. You do not want your running back running the ball up the middle between the 20s. When I'm watching football on Sundays and I'm rooting on my fantasy running back and I see them get carries up the middle, knowing that every player has a limited number of carries that the team is willing to give them, I go, well, that is a wasted touch for fantasy football. Travis Etienne projects to get some of that red zone goal line work, if not pretty much all of it. He was insanely efficient in college at scoring touchdowns. He mm. scored touchdowns at like a 50% higher rate per touch, if I remember correctly, compared to Najee Harris last yeah. year. Yeah. Travis Etienne is a big play threat. He is the guy that you want to give the ball anywhere near the red zone goal line. This is a playmaker. He's also someone that is going to be highly targeted. He yes. had over 1,000 receiving yards in his final two seasons at Clemson playing with Travis or playing with Trevor Lawrence. So the Lawrence Etienne shower narrative, it's alive and well. They are back reunited in the NFL. Yes, there are concerns about Etienne just because we haven't seen anything from him at the NFL level. However, that also means that he is ripe for buying opportunity because, again, we have no idea what the role is going to be. But we do know that he's probably going to get a lot of work near the end zone and he's probably going to get a lot of targets. And because those score fantasy points, I'm inclined to think that this is a player to target, I I would be incredibly shocked if he is not getting 12 to 18 touches again with many of them coming through the air. And that that is the player that I want to target in fantasy football. I think this offense is going to be much more competent than, than last year. And I think that ETN's profile gives him both a nice floor because of the pass catching and a nice ceiling because would it really be surprising if the former first round pick gets 20 touches a game? And 
five, six targets a game within those 20 touches would not surprise me at all. If he's getting 14 carries and six targets a game, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, yep, that sounds a lot like college to me. That is the player that I want to target. That is exactly the archetype of the Alvin Kamara, the DeAndre Swift, the Austin Eckler. These are the players that you want in fantasy football. Yeah, I'm trying to be more optimistic about Etienne. I like his skill set in the offense, specifically with matched up with Trevor Lawrence. It makes a ton of sense. Doug Peters can actually, you know, have an adult in the room calling plays mm-hmm. and be someone competent in understanding the offense and how to best use his players, something that Urban Meyer at his best could never do. And even if Travis Etienne wouldn't have been selected where he was last year had it not been Urban Meyer, he's there now. And we know that Doug Peterson can operate a competent high-scoring offenses sometimes. So I'm more optimistic than I've ever been about ETN. I'm hoping that he comes back. His foot doesn't give him any issues going forward. How much does James Robinson really carve in? We're going to find out. I, I think that they they still want to involve both of those guys. But as we talked a little bit about earlier, our running back by committee is just taking over the league. So you're trying to find those running backs that while they're going to have some guys cut into their load, like you said, most valuable touches. Travis Etienne is going to get the most valuable of those touches. The connection that he has with Trevor Lawrence is really, for me, my selling point. And it's a reason I'm taking him higher and higher in these best ball drafts. So let's, let's get to that point where I was talking about a little bit earlier. Who, who are some of your favorite stabs after hundred after pick 150? These guys that could come out, maybe do absolutely nothing, or they can come out and win you, win you some really big money. Who are your favorite guys? So... Do you remember last year? I think we all remember this when Trey Sermon was a round <laughs> seven pick, right? Yes, Trey Sermon I was a round seven pick. I would even say deservedly so. Yes. What I did he was they traded up myself. for him? Yeah, they, they traded up for him in round three. That's that's a player that you want. It's in yeah. he's the Shanahan running back. He's gonna get all the touches. So if if we can agree that round seven kind of made sense for Trey Sermon, even if you think he was overdrafted, all right, fine. Mm-hmm. He was a round eight pick. There you go. All right, you are. Whatever you want. I think that was a generally good range. Is this not the most wild one-year overcorrection we have ever seen for someone that is, once again, a round three San Francisco 49ers running back and Tyrion Davis-Price who now goes in like round 15? You mean to tell me that that because Trey Sermon didn't pan out in round seven that now we're going to punt TDP to round 14, 15, 16? Makes absolutely zero sense considering that TDP is probably better for this system, considering that he runs in the four fours. He's not Sermon running in the four sixes. You want speed in in San Francisco. Why not target the guy that goes many, many rounds after Elijah Mitchell, and he's got 10 pounds on Mitchell, and he's not that much slower. Mitchell uh, is kind of the opposite of a picture of health. He's an undersized running back. He's playing for the 49ers. We know what that zone blocking scheme can do to these runners because they're hitting the hole hard and they are often getting resulting in very aggressive collisions. That's why you rarely see them stay healthy for a full season. So if you're telling me that I can get TDP in round 14, 15, whatever it is, I, I'm going to take that quite a bit because we, we know that generally whoever the starting running back is for the 49ers in a given game is going to get 15, 20, 25 carries. There are going to be some spike weeks for him. I think Sermon's out of the picture. It looks like it's the Elijah Mitchell show. And when he inevitably goes down at points in the season, it will be the TDP show. One other guy that I love, it's also running back. Turns out the later rounds are a great time to target some running backs. The backup running backs, this is fertile ground. Kenny Gainwell, someone I like. Love it. He hit the 10% target share threshold as a rookie running back. That is very, very hard to do. Miles Sanders, I think he is a good running back. However, 
Is he in any way some insurmountable obstacle? Absolutely not. Has Miles Sanders himself been a picture of health in the NFL? Absolutely not. Kenny Gainwell is going to have top five R, like high-end RB1 upside anytime that Sanders is down. Sorry if there's there's people honking in the parking lot next to me. Huh? They're just agreeing with you. They, they, they're yeah. hearing you talk about they're Kenny honking. Gainwell. They're they like, know. yeah, we love <laughs> they know. So I, I like targeting pass catchers at running backs. We talked about earlier. Running back targets are very, very high-value touches. We also saw him steal a ton of goal line red yes. zone type work from Sanders as a rookie. Very, very enthusiastic about what Gainwell can bring. And when you can get this guy around pick 160, like Tyrion Davis Price, those are two guys that I've been there heavily in my rotation when I want to fill out the RB4, 5, or 6 slot on my roster. Yeah, I, I like the, the Gainwell call. I'm more hesitant on TDP. I'm not sure yet what he's going to be in the NFL. Watching his, his tape at LSU was... He looked more of a plotter. I know he tested well. He definitely seemed like he was more between the tackles guy, but we'll see. We know Kyle Shanahan typically gets the best out of these running backs, and if you have speed, he's going to find the best way to utilize it. And again, Elijah Mitchell banged up three or four times last year at different times. Not great for him season long. You're hoping he can stay healthy, but TDP would look to be the guy right behind him who does have the ability to use these outside zone scheme blocking types that Shanahan's going to employ. You get into the outside, maybe he can show that speed a little bit more. Maybe it wasn't utilized properly at LSU. Most likely it wasn't. So I love that. I, I think that Gainwell is a guy that I'm actually projecting to take over Miles Sanders. I think he might be the guy by halfway through the season, even if he's not hurt. I think that Gainwell is just a better overall player and i think he's gonna have a, a chance to showcase that that this year so when you get him at pick 160 it, it's a i just take it and i he's on part on so many of my best ball rosters because i think that he's just got that much upside and again you point to that 10 percent target share as a rookie so impressive and those are the valuable touches that we talk about so two guys that i think have tremendous upside specifically Gainwell. i think tdb can get there i'm more hesitant because who knows what shanahan's, what shanahan's gonna do we don't really have a clue maybe Maybe Trace Sermon comes back in the fold. I would be shocked if that happened, but you never know with Kyle Shanahan. One last question for you. What QB is going to outperform his ADP this year? So there were two quarterbacks last year who had a game with 400 or more passing yards and had another game with 90 or more rushing yards. That sounds pretty good, right? We want someone yeah, that has mobility. We want someone that is at least competent enough at times as a passer. Neither of those QBs is Josh Allen. Unbelievable, right? Josh Allen is not one of those two. He didn't do it last year. It's okay, though. We still we still like Josh Allen as QB1. Lamar Jackson did it. Very, very impressive. The other guy that did it, you can get in the 15th round of drafts. A what? Considering that this quarterback got a coaching staff upgrade. The Bills coaching staff. Josh Allen's coaching staff, who has seen how to take a dynamic runner who also has decent or better arm strength and can turn him into a fantasy superstar. That is what you can be looking at with Daniel Jones. He is not the next Josh Allen. No. However, if you want someone that's probably going to exceed their ADP and give you spike weeks whenever healthy, it is Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones was the QB six in the first month of the season before he got injured. And you might go, Oh, that's a small sample size. Well, that is the only sample size we have from last year with some type of adequate weapon weaponry because when Daniel Jones got concussed in week five, that is also the week that Barkley rolled his ankle. Mm -hmm. That is also the week Galladay got injured. So when 
when Daniel Jones was coming back, it was basically Saquon, Galladay, Tony rotating in and out of the lineup. Sterling Shepard tore his Achilles. There were, just, there were so many injuries going on. At this point, the offensive line should be better. The coaching staff should be significantly better. There's actually some decent skill players surrounding him with Barkley, Galladay, Tony, Wandale Robinson. I mean, there's actual playmakers there. And Daniel Jones, who is sneaky mobile, and his arm strength is actually just fine. This is the type of player that I want to target late in best ball. I do not think he is a good real-life NFL quarterback. However, I do think he is a good fantasy asset. Yeah, I think Daniel Jones' ADP is kind of ridiculous as quarterback 22. I know that last year, again, you talked about the injuries and his, let's just say, his every occasion turning the ball over at will. He just seemingly fumbles the ball whenever he starts running. And the, we, no one will ever forget when he's running for a touchdown against the Eagles and just drops the football for no apparent reason. We thought that was that he fell. He just fell down. Like these kind of things seem to happen to Daniel Jones. But again, they invested Evan Neal. Is there going to be the left tackle? They're going to have a better offensive line. Saquon Barkley is going to be healthy. He is one of my absolute favorite quarterbacks to not just be better than his ADP, but kind of explode. Like he, he could act if they use him properly, use him in the running game much more and efficiently with Kadarius Tony, Sterling Shepard still could be a target monster. Kenny Galladay. This is a team that could really surprise people with points scored. And I'm really, really, really liking Daniel Jones. I liked him last year then he got hurt. It really upset me, but I think this year staying healthy with that coaching staff is going to pay huge, huge dividends for Daniel Jones. Thank you so much for coming on the pod today. Let everyone know what you're going to be doing. I know that you're currently in between situations, but what are you looking forward to right now? I know you got the TikTok thing going, so let everyone know what you're doing right now, what you got coming up. So you can find me on Twitter at JLarkyTweets. You can find me on TikTok at JLarkyTikToks. Daniel, thank you for hosting. This has been great. Love talking best ball. I will be starting a new role in the industry July 1st. I will be hiring and leading a brand new fantasy football department for an emerging company that's out there. I couldn't be more excited, but I cannot share that company live on air just yet. (laughs) So everyone can stay tuned and follow me on Twitter to figure out who the new employer is going to be. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing who you're going to be working with. They're getting a great, great analyst who knows everything that he's doing. Such a smart guy. Again, thank you so much. And this is your host, Daniel Harms of the Fantasy Football Astronauts. We are blasting off.